Welcome to the Get in the Fight podcast. My name is Nate Whitson, and I'm the founder of Get in the Fight Ministries and our exclusive online fight club for Christian men. Everything we do here is dedicated to helping Christian men become the men that God meant for them to be. So if you're looking for helpful content and conversations that can help you to grow and become the man that God made you to be, then you're in the right place. But before we get started, please do me a huge favor and be sure to subscribe, click the like button, and then leave us a five-star review. Doing that helps us to reach more men who are looking for content just like this. Also, if you'd like to learn more about our mission and how to get involved or how to join the Fight Club, then head on over to getinthefight.club. That's getinthefight.club and learn more today. But without further ado, it's time to get in the fight. So let's go. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Get in the Fight podcast. Today we're going to be talking about money and financial concepts. And since I and my special guest are both financial advisors, I'm going to read a special disclosure because that's what you came here for is this kind of disclosure content on this podcast. But to make sure that we're doing everything above board, I do want to read this and then we'll include this as well in show notes. But here's what it says. Enjoy this. Information presented on this program is believed to be factual and up to date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Discussions and answers to questions do not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice, but are limited to the dissemination of general information. A professional advisor should be consulted before implementing any of the options presented. Maynard Wealth is a registered investment advisor with the state of Michigan and only transacts business in states where it's properly registered or is excluded or exempted from registration requirements. There you go. Disclosure out of the way. Woo! With that out of the way, I'm excited to bring on today's guest to talk about money and wealth management. Michael Nordman is not only a friend of mine that I've known for many years now, but in fact, although Michael is 12 or 13 years younger than me, he's also my boss, which is fun. So I'm bringing my boss to work today, (laughs) and this is super exciting. Michael is a certified financial planner. He carries many different licenses, such as a Series 7, Series 6, Series 63, and many others, or at least others, maybe not many, but there's at least others. We'll let him decide if it's many. He's also the Chief Wealth Officer for Maynard Wealth and is, I believe, the youngest partner at Maynard Kasterison, a top public accounting, technology, and business consulting firm that we both work for. He was invited to start the Wealth Management Division in 2020 in the midst of a time that we call COVID, and now Michael oversees over 70 million in assets under management in just under three years or just right around three years, which is pretty incredible due to his leadership. He's married to his beautiful wife, Kate. They have three adorable children, Becca, Cole, and Sophie. And I'm super excited for you to hear from my very wise and awesome boss and friend, Michael Nordman. Michael, thank you for jumping on here today. Thank you, Nate. Happy to join you. That was too kind of an intro, but I am going to just put one little asterisk there. You forgot a digit. It's 170 million. It's slightly different than 70 million. (laughs) You would think, I told you we can edit stuff. That may get edited because you would think I would know that number. It's okay. We're doing again. Yahoo for us. Another comma. So yeah, all good. You would think I'd be better with numbers in a job like I do. But you know, I've known you long enough to not assume that. (laughs) This is going to be a very real podcast for all of you listening. 
<laughs> Michael is my friend first. And we actually just love working together and super grateful for the way God's brought that together. But genuinely, Michael is fantastic at what he does. And I mean, to be able to be a partner in the firm at what age? How old were you in? 30. When you, to be invited in at 30 years old is just an amazing accomplishment. I didn't do enough due diligence. I wanted to look and see, are there any 30-year-old chief wealth officers anywhere? And I bet there are, but it can't be many. So I believe I that I made that title up. So I'm going to say there aren't any others, regardless <laughs> of age. You know, I did some research and I'm like, there's nobody. He's the there's one. Nobody else. That's right. <laughs> no, I mean, Michael is... Michael's an amazing Christian guy. He certainly will, would not even try to trump how awesome that is, but that's a huge responsibility. And to be offered that and to do well and to excel at that is really awesome. So a lot that we can learn from him a lot. Honestly, I'm not saying this for those listening. Think You all think I'm sucking up to my boss on this. <laughs> He's my friend first. I learn from him all the time. There's, there's a ton of stuff where I'm like, where did you learn that? <laughs> you <laughs> say that you often, know? actually. <laughs> I do say that. And I mean it. I'm like, I am so not the smartest one. In fact, I was meeting with some clients today and they said something about our junior partner, Steven, at our firm. And they said, we know that he's probably the one that does all this stuff. And they were kind of like teasing me. <laughs> and I said, more, more than you know, he actually does a lot of stuff. I more said, my goal know. is never to be the smartest one in the room, but to make sure I surround myself with really smart people. And I feel like I'm succeeding. I feel like, I feel like you're succeeding. And that's why we added Steven, because he's super smart. Super smart. Yeah, like I'm, I'm sandwiched between super smart in our office. And uh, yeah, genuinely really grateful for that. So, Michael, before we jump into like, picking your brain and kind of sharing with guys, just some, again, we read the disclosure. It really is true. This is general conversations. We're not giving specific advice, just talking in general here, but before we kind of get into some, some of those ideas, maybe just help our audience to know a little bit about you, where are you from? What's your background a little bit? How'd you get to financial planning? Yeah, great questions. And I will just repeat that, echo those sentiments that this is general. But if you wanted something specific, come and ask either of us. We'd be happy to chat about your specific situation. So my background, I was born in Detroit. I spent most of my growing up years in mid-Michigan, actually lived in East Lansing and went to Hazlitt High School. I, after graduation, decided to go to a small private Christian university called Spring Arbor University down in Spring Arbor, Michigan. There was really not that many, I think 4,000 total enrollment. Coming from Olivet and Hillsdale, probably a similar size, if not a little bit smaller even. And that was really where God began to kind of shape my faith even more and start to plant some seeds in my life. And it was late high school, early college, where I began to ask some questions and feel as though I was being led to what we now know is wealth management. My uncle, our former employer back in the day where we met, Matt, he is the one that truly led me into this profession. I just knew that he and I both loved Jesus and numbers and said, hey, what do you do when I was in high school? And it was that conversation that led to then working together for seven years and also this profession, this industry. So really, really thankful for that 
great example and got again just planting seeds at the right times yeah yeah i didn't even mention that in the intro necessarily but that, that's really that's where we met became friends is working for your uncle one of my friends your uncle yeah and grateful for the way that god just weaves stories like this together in ways that you just have no idea like you know the first time you meet somebody you have no idea you're going to meet a lifelong friend that you end up working with and for and yeah doing life together with and yeah well how awesome is that i know you, it was about you this time in 2013 a decade ago that i started to initially talk with matt about joining their wow. firm and so that would have been when you and i first met and i got to hear some of your story and just again how this career kind of weaved its way into your life and what god meant there and then again you come fast forward a decade now i don't think either you or i would have predicted this sitting at pf chang's in 2013. no absolutely not yeah i i don't think even on the podcast i've shared my story in terms of work i, I don't bring it into it a ton but yeah that is really fascinating to go like <laughs> i had applied i went and got air brake qualification so I could drive for e-tran I thought about maybe working in a pig farm like really wide options but I didn't expect financial planning <laughs> so which I did give away to you know the audience earlier that my you know math it wasn't my my biggest skill I thought we had 70 million we have 170 so it just tells you a little bit but yeah you don't just, have I, to track that though that's okay <laughs> that's right well and I feel like I feel like what you're saying too is like God is orchestrated me in this business. And I, and I was going to say that to you too. You have mentioned that I feel like where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And I think that's an amazing thing. You know, talk about that a little bit. Like why, why this industry for a Christian guy, like why is this a good industry for you in particular? Yeah. A great question again. And it is a couple of different pieces all kind of rolled into one. I'll start on the personal side for me again in high school, I knew that I was good at math, but I don't really know what, use that is especially again this is i graduated from high school in 2007 my i had this brick of a cell phone called a nextel you know a lot of people on this podcast might not even know what a nextel is but just goes to show how long ago that was those 16 years but i had no idea what being good at math and liking people wanting to help people was going to do and you fast forward again through college and through job shadowing with Matt and you as well. Again, once I joined Matt's business and just being able to sit with you with clients and hear some of that, just being able to see the impact that you can have in people's lives. And again, when you couple that with a faith standpoint, how deeper that impact can be than just a dollar sign. And I had that conversation with a new client earlier this morning as well that we're not here just simply to achieve the greatest rate of return. And we're not here just for portfolio rebalancing or to talk about where those assets are located is to help you do good, make a difference and live your best life. And that is really like the core of what we do. The byproduct is that there's a financial plan and there's some portfolios to manage. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I think that's the thing. You know, we may or may not get into this part of the story, but when you had invited me into where we work currently, the obviously just working with a friend is is huge for me. And I didn't have that where I was at previously. But not just a friend, but somebody who sees it about serving people. And I think that makes 
what we do super special. And I know we've said this many times, but like, what an awesome thing for Christian men to be involved in or Christian women too. It doesn't matter. Like just people who love people well, money, you know, Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. And so when you get into this, it's like counseling many times, right? Like how many times have you have been in a meeting where somebody's like, oh my gosh, like pouring my heart out to you. Well, yeah, because that's where money's at. Yep. And literally this morning, again, I'm only saying it because it's the most recent in my head. The client said during our call, we are a hot mess and we need help. Verbatim, wrote it down on my notes right here. Actually, if you wanted to read it, I'll show you the backside because not there. We are a hot mess and we need help. And you talk about just coming into their lives and everything is here. They were making jokes about one spouse wanting a new house, the other spouse liking to drive fast cars and both of them not really having a plan and not really knowing what they're doing, but they know they need help. Again, you're just coming into a, a very real scenario most often acting as almost like this mediator for this counselor, as you said, too, for their lives, their hopes, their dreams. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And, and anybody listening that's considering financial planning, you should do it. I mean, if you love people, you know, you can learn the business side of it. But having people that love people, we, you just can't have enough of that wherever God calls you there. And so this Amen. is definitely an area where, where you are called to be. Yeah, I'm glad that God has brought our paths together for sure. Um, you know, when in this ministry of getting the fight, there's an application process. And I kind of talk with men one on one before we say, is this a good fit? You want to do this? This is what it looks like. But I asked them in that application part of that, like, you know, what part of your life would you like to improve on? You know, or what are some areas of regret? You know, we kind of get into regrets and wishes and dreams a little bit there. And either in regrets or like I want help with one of the ones that I hear quite often is with the topic of money, which yeah. is why I'm really grateful for our time, you know, to be able to do this. Obviously we talk about this every day or whatever, but many men don't, and they feel very overwhelmed with this. So my hope again, is that we can maybe share some really practical things today just to get them thinking. And you'd mentioned it, whether, you know, this has never been an idea to do this podcast, to get men to call us for help. But if you want help, find a financial advisor. We'll talk about it in a little bit later. I'll ask you more about how to find a good one and what, what that looks like, what a good firm looks like. But again, you know, ask for help and get help and start this journey because it, it does matter. But I wanted to start with our company mission statement and asking you again, like what, what is our mission? What is your mission? I should say more, it's more about you, but what is our company mission statement? at Maynard Wealth and why does that matter? Like, how is that personal to you? Yeah, I'm gonna link these together too, because as you mentioned, Maynard Wealth is a part of this 116 year old firm that there's 180 employees and then we have our little team of four too. So the way that they flow together, I actually really appreciate the Maynard Kasterison is enabling others to reach their potential. We like to focus in at our Maynard Wealth team, the four of us in helping others to do good, make a difference and live their best lives. and that's not our best lives and it's not their best possible rate of return. It's whatever it means for them. And it, again, it just circles back to how can we have an impact in your life? If you look at our website, I actually in our little bio section talk about my goal in our interactions is just to have a positive impact in your life with the caveat of what does love require of me? I know we've talked a lot about our mutual love for Andy Stanley, but if I can 
have that impact in your life, whether as a coworker or a friend or a brother or an advisor as a CFP, just what does love require of me in this scenario? It's probably going to turn out into a good decision. Again, it may not be the absolute best at all times, but it's going to be a likely good choice with that almost like a little screen that you're seeing life through. That's so good. Yeah. And, and again, what I love about it is it's genuine. And, and I do know, and I think you probably do too. I know several other advisors who are Christian men that do this work and they feel the same way. And it's like, man, that's so great. There are some mm -hmm. great people out there that are thinking in terms of how do I love people well today? Mm -hmm. Really going into meetings like you do saying, where do I serve? Like, I'm just going to actively listen. I want to be a great listener today, really. Mm -hmm. And just praying through that, Lord, Lord, help me, help me to serve. Regardless of it, whether they're Christian or not, that means not, it doesn't matter at all to us. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of what we do, we're just there to serve. Mm -hmm. and, and I love that. Yeah, that mission statement is one that we carry into the office, but we also carry home and everywhere else we go. And I think it makes a big difference, right? It does. Absolutely. Again, if you can take that step back in whatever interaction you're at and just say, again, how can I help you live your best life? And what does love require of me here if I am meant to be loving? And again, as a Christian man, we are called to be loving of others, not necessarily fully approving of others, but loving of others. And in that scenario, how can I help? Whether it be answering their questions about a 529 plan or where do you need some food tonight? Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. And if you are, please do us a huge favor and be sure to subscribe, click the like button, and then leave us a five-star review. It only takes a few seconds to do this, but it makes a huge difference for us. And it helps us to reach more men who are looking for content just like this. Thanks so much for listening and helping us out. Now back to the show. Many times we've had conversations where people will come in and we say like, your best bet is let, let me just give you some answers today. And just tell you, you know, don't come to us, you know, go just do this. You, you can say like, you know, we're not the best fit for you for different reasons. And that always throws people off, but we genuinely don't come in trying to squeeze people into our firm. We just say like, let's listen. And what does love require? Sometimes it says you'd be a great fit for these people down the road who do something else. Right. Yep. If that's the case, then that's what we'll do. And that's what you're about. And, and that's why, you know, people love you. Let's talk about men who are maybe struggling financially a little bit and they don't have money to invest. I know that this is a thing like when I was asking for questions from the audience and just men in, in my life that I say, hey, I'm talking to my brother here about this. A lot of them are like, man, we're just so behind. Like the idea of investing and all this, it's just like, okay, we'll never come to you. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure we'll ever be able to bring money to you. But what advice or wisdom would you give to that guy to help them to get on a path of financial strength? Yeah, that's a, a good question because I hear that answer a lot is that they're behind. And I usually try and push back and ask, well, why do you think you're behind? And most often this is a, it's something in their head psychological that they just feel as though they should have started earlier or they should be doing something else. And whether that is because their neighbors or their friends say that they have X dollars saved up or that they're saving that much each month or that they are just a little bit older in terms of into their career. They just feel like they're behind. Again, this morning's meeting with new clients, they also said, man, we just we know that we're so far behind. And I pushed back on them again and said, this is your plan. It's not Steve. It's not Billy Bob's. It's not Nate's. 
this is your plan. So I'll tell you if you are on track or behind for your plan. But what I know today is that we don't know if you are behind or not. So first off, like to answer your question, the actual question of what would I say to somebody that they just need a starting point is let's find out, right? We, we can only judge the data if we have the data. And so work with a planner to find out what your plan is. If this is for retirement, saving for a new house, you're trying to pay down some debts, whatever it is, let's build out the plan to see exactly where you are on track for that plan. Then we can literally say, well, here's where you should be and here's where you are, whether that's again ahead or behind. And here's what you have to do to change that. Because sometimes we might need to just change the plan. I had a client that wanted to give away X number of dollars to their three kids. And we just kind of said throughout building the plan, this is going to be probably more aggressive than you want it to be. So we changed the plan because they also had some other hopes and dreams. It's not just usually in a vacuum of one thing. Most often people don't want to just retire and forget about their family or just buy a vacation home and never retire. So you have to take all of those things into consideration. Circling back though, you just got to start. You got to build that plan for that quick synopsis of where you're at today and then find out well, how do we get where we want to go. Traditionally, that is done with a professional. There's lots mm -hmm. of DIYers out there, but quite frankly, there's more DIY investment people than there are DIY financial planners. That piece is more difficult to put together the puzzle of your life. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> that's so good. I, I hope what everybody hears out of that is you've got to start the conversation, right? And, and just to, to reiterate what you said there, yeah, like you, how do you really know if you don't know where you're even at right now? You know, maybe Correct. you're not. In fact, how many times in our business do we go, you know, we put together a plan, we figure out where we're at. Like you said, we gather the data and many times we're like, you're doing just fine. You just didn't know. In fact, you don't even, you haven't even thought about all the other pieces that are coming down the road. Cause it's just not what you do every day. Right. Correct. So a lot of times we've just given hope through starting the dialogue. And I think that's huge for people listening that I can think of in our community that are saying, I just feel like I'm stuck. So what do we do? We, we don't talk about it. And then you're, you really are stuck because you don't have any wisdom behind that. So start and find a financial advisor, find somebody who does this for a living, no matter how awkward it may feel to go like, Oh, we're so far behind. Okay. Well, you can't fix the past, but you can maybe, you know, navigate the future better. Yeah. And I think so much of that is rooted in fear and I, I understand it, but also I don't. It's fear of, well, I think I should have been doing this sooner and I'm not, or fear of almost being ashamed that they aren't doing as well as somebody else. But I would just circle back again to the fact that this is about you. It doesn't matter what brother, sister, mom, dad, neighbor, coworker, anybody is doing. This is about you. And in all of our meetings, this is confidential. We're not going to tell them about your plan. You can tell them if you want to, because it's yours. But we don't care those other plans, those other people. We care about you and your plan. And so, again, let's just take the veil back and see where it is that you are today. And honestly, our dashboard, and that's not anything proprietary, just having a dashboard of what is everything that has a dollar sign for our family. A lot of clients just use an Excel spreadsheet too. Google Doc would work. Just list out what you have. So then, again, at least we have a a ground zero, a breaking point for what it is that we're trying to accomplish and where 
all of those pieces are today. That's right. Yeah. So good. So good. I hope people are hearing that and just saying, okay, yeah, just start. Yeah. And, and, and don't be afraid. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're hitting on something super important in a men's ministry conversation in particular. We feel like men like failures for not having as much. We're comparing it to other guys and other stories. And there's something really powerful about what you're saying there. We really kind of have to just say like, look, the comparison trap is so unnecessary, <laughs> right? And so dangerous. And so dangerous. It's really interesting being on this side too, because you get to see that side of so many families and men, especially too, who may want to show a certain side outside yes. of their bubble, right? And I do everything correct and I make so much money and look at my house when it may just be again, a front completely and they're completely in debt and they don't actually make that much money. And it's just because they want to show off or flaunt something. It's a That's bigger it. problem in our society period, but their plan would actually look like total garbage if you That's brought it back, but it may look amazing outside yep. to you and I. And there's always going to be somebody else that makes more, that has more. And there's always going to be somebody else that has less and makes less. So I don't care at all about where you believe that you are in terms of behind, on track, whatever. Let's just make this about you and your family. That's it. And imagine if that guy comes to you, he and his wife, and they say, we just kind of want to be able to retire and garden. You're like, cool. Well, you're not going to need debt or you're not going to need as much money as the guy who wants to travel to Europe every quarter. You're right. Yep. So you're comparing it incorrectly and you have fear that you need to overcome and you just need to come meet with somebody like Michael in the end <laughs> who will help guide you through that. We obviously can't and don't talk about specific investment recommendations here on a platform like this. But in general, I think people are asking me to have conversations with them like this about you know, the stock market, what is the stock market? You know, as, as silly as that might sound, I know it to you, it won't because that's, it's, what is it? Like, what, what am I doing exactly? And that is a question I got. And then maybe just like, what is your general investment philosophy? Help, help men think through this huge question mark that they're dealing with that they're kind of like, I'm just putting money in this thing, but I don't understand it. What is it? What should the investment philosophy maybe be? Yeah. Really great questions. Again, I, I'm going to start at even like a further step back kind of baseline yeah. of if we want to buy a stock, how would you do that? And why might you do that? And so you, you might've heard the words public versus private companies. A private company would be like Nate and Sarah Whitson beehives that nobody else owns a piece no. of that except Nate and Sarah, because it's a private company. But let's say that they wanted to invite other people in and they would give money to Nate and Sarah Whitson Beehive Incorporated and then become a part owner. And Nate and Sarah could use that to buy 12 more beehives. They could become a public company. At that point, if they're public, most would go and list on a certain stock exchange. You don't have to list your public company on a stock exchange, but if you do, you get more traffic. Those are the things that we hear about the Dow Jones and the NASDAQ some of the biggest kind of news pieces of the stock market. Those are what you hear. And they include, again, pieces of those public companies. 
from that standpoint, again, you talk about more of a general investing philosophy. Well, we're going to likely buy into some of those public companies. You could buy into Nate and Sarah Whitson's beehive making honey, whatever, but most typically invest in those publicly traded companies that trade on a index. And at that point, again, kind of a general principles, it's better usually to be passive rather than active because we believe the market is efficient over the long run. There's a lot of theory behind the modern portfolio theory that talks about the efficiency of the market over the long term, i.e., maybe not in a one-year window, but over a 10, 15, 20-year window, the market is going to go up long term. But again, if you take it in that vacuum of one to two years, it may not. But if we buy something that we believe in and trust for the long haul, theoretically, it should go up. Additionally, if you have diversification, which just means don't put all your money in Nate and Sarah's beehives, but put a little bit in the Nordman beehive too, then you are diversified across multiple companies. And typically we see multiple companies, multiple industries, multiple countries even. And then if one country is doing bad, you don't lose all of your money. If one sector of the economy is doing bad, you don't lose all of your money. And then again, back to modern portfolio theory, long-term passive versus active should all go up long-term. doesn't mean that you go to the moon in your Tesla rocket because you've made so much money, but it grows. Yeah, that's excellent. I think that that's super helpful to break it down like that. I'm glad you did it that way. And you mentioned passive and active. I'm guessing that there's probably a little knowledge gap there. Can you just say it again? So do they just, yeah. how does that work? What does that mean exactly maybe? Good question again. And I should have explained that further. So passive versus active would mean if you are trying to buy and sell different pieces of that portfolio that you have made or that we have made more often. And passive would be doing your research, finding something you like, buying it, and then not selling it. And you're holding on to it for the long term, not because you believe that it's going to make a ton of money right now in this short window, but that long term, it is going to grow. Active would be, I'm buying this today and I'm selling it tomorrow. I'm going to go buy something else. And then I'm just going to, again, be active in trying to chase a shorter term gain. That has not proven to be as long-term successful as a passive, again, buy it and hold it strategy. You can make more money in the short frame. Again, like if you just found something and absolutely struck gold, but that's much more difficult to do than be passive, buy and hold and keep those investments for the long term. Yeah, no, that's good. I think that'll be helpful to kind of differentiate that, what that means. So let's talk a little bit then, again, just in general, but what should somebody in their 20s and 30s, maybe 40s and 50s, 60s, like what are some of those like big financial planning things in those different categories of time? What do you see? In maybe Let's start in the 20s and 30s. What, what is something that would be wise in that category? In the 20s and 30s, this is where we should be paying down debt as much as possible and building a budget probably for the first time so that we can hopefully live within our means. And that means that we're not adding in credit card debt. If we make $2,000 a month, hopefully we're only spending $1,000 a month. Maybe those numbers aren't especially applicable today, but Again, live below your means, build a budget, and start to pay down debt and put some money aside. This doesn't mean that you're maxing out your 401k. It'd be amazing if you could, but 
let's start sooner because it has more time to grow if this money is for retirement. Yeah, perfect. So what about the next decade up or so, you know, 30s, 40s, somewhere in that yeah. range? If we're in that range, ideally, most of your debt has been paid off or never even accumulated except for maybe a home mortgage and we're not bringing on additional debt. We're starting to open up additional investment accounts or max out our employer sponsored plans. At this point, most of our clients would be in a career job, not a job job. And that typically comes with better retirement planning benefits and probably even some free money from your employer. So absolutely, if they're offering a match or some sort of profit sharing, we want to put in at least as much to get their free money and then putting away as much as possible. This is where we should also start to hone in on what that retirement plan looks like, i.e. if we need a million dollars at age 65 in order to be able to live the way we want to, we should be backtracking to see, okay, I have to save $387 per month or whatever the number is. We should start to, again, be building out that plan to now not say only, well, this is how much I can afford, but this is how much I need to put aside. This is typically where kids enter the scenario, too. So start to talk about some college planning, if that's important to you, and how much that might cost. Again, difference between a Michigan State University versus a Hillsdale College. Those are two very different tuitions. Even just U of M versus MSU is going to be very different. And so... If that's important to you in those 30s and 40s, we should probably start some of that planning too to at least see how much it's going to cost. And if you want to save up money to send your kids there, better start saving early. That's right. Yeah. And I guess then just one more category up, you know, let's, let's say you're there in their 60s, you know, yep. and they're really dreaming of retirement coming around the corner. What else do they need to be thinking about at that point? So at this point, again, hopefully all the debts are paid. Maybe you might have a mortgage left or a second vacation home mortgage, but typically all the debts are paid. You also should be laser focused on what that number is at this point for retirement. So it's not I'm 44 and I still have enough time left to have that number change. You're probably not going to have that number change a lot in your 60s. And if it does, that means there's probably a big purchase that you decided to make, and that's fine because your financial plan can change with your life. But in terms of retirement, that number probably isn't going to adjust a lot at this point, and you should be getting closer to what that number is. We're also starting to talk about health insurance and Medicare. Again, Medicare, if you're over 65 or you got to find some other insurance on the marketplace if you were lucky enough to retire early. Well, that's a big consideration. And we're talking about long-term care now too. Those conversations usually start in the mid to late 50s and really ramp up in the 60s. But it is, in most of my clients' scenarios, the one meteor that could come and just really wreck a really great investment portfolio because long-term care costs ten dollars to $20,000 a month, depending on the level of care that you need. And that's a lot of money especially if you're there for a little bit. So again, that conversation is starting in the 60s. We should start to consider that. It's not cheap, but let's at least just have a plan. If the plan is to self-fund, which means you don't buy an insurance policy, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We just need to know if we could withstand that, and that is the plan. So having the conversations. Yeah, that's right. You know, one of the things that we 
talk to clients a lot about is clarity plus confidence equals happiness. And I, I use that equation all the time as kind of like our success formula. That's what I tell people it is. And it really comes down to what you're saying that in each of those categories, for those of you listening into this, whatever age band you're in, and you mentioned this even previously, when it comes to planning, it's, it really starts with like, let's start with what I actually have, where I actually am and seeing it clearly without judgment. It just is yep. what it is. Yep. There's no sense in beating yourself up over it, right? It is what it is. But be honest about it have great communication with an advisor, somebody who does this for a living that could actually just say like, oh, what about this? Or what about that? Because there's so many times people will say, oh, I didn't even think of that. Well, that's all right. It's just, that's why we need each other, right? That's have right. somebody who has the heart of a teacher who really is there to say, what does love require of me, right? Find somebody who loves people and will give you great advice, but start with where you're at and then have a plan. I love what you said about looking backwards. I think that's so true. There have been so many people over the years, it's like, I'm so far behind. And then you say, well, let's talk about where you want it to go. Ideally, you then you back it up and you're like, dude, you're not that far off. You, you know, a little bit of this, this and this. And all of a sudden you're, you're on the path. So excellent advice. And again, no matter where you're at, even if you're 60 years old, listening to this today, if God gives you another 35 years on this earth, you got a long time to go. So have a plan for the next 35, regardless of how well you did up to here. Uh, I think that's just, a great point, too, that a lot of people don't assume when they retire and they think we just have to get to age 60 or 65 or whatever their number is that they want to stop working. But ideally, you've got two, three more decades to live and to do what you want to do and to spend that money. And again, the plan is maybe now even more important than it was in the accumulation phase when you're still working. And Again, it's arguably more important, but it is, on our side at least, undeniably more difficult. It's way easier for us to just accumulate money, put it aside, build a plan for spending down debt. But we have to be ultra focused in on not running out of money and being really good stewards and fiduciaries on both sides of the table to, again, make sure that you're not running out of money when you're 82. That's it. Yeah. And we have, <laughs> you will laugh, I'm sure, because we just, this is what we do for everyday conversations. But when it comes to a, a man's audience, even yesterday talking to a client, he's like, well, I won't be here long enough for it. Dude, you have no idea. Every guy says it though, right? Every guy's so like, I, you will outlive me. I'm, my daddy died at this and his daddy died. So I'm definitely going to die at this. I'm like, you have no idea. Right. So anyways, get clarity. So that you can have confidence that you at least know where you're at and where you're going. And then you actually have some happiness and some peace because right now you're frustrated and feel like you're behind, but you have no clue. And you, you've done a great job at making that point. So yep. um, you mentioned the meteor coming in, like, you know, like just devastating the plan, that idea. Part of your background before coming to Maynard was in the insurance world for at least a short period of time. So I just want to talk about that again in general concepts. We're not telling everybody what specifically, how much or what to get. But can you explain the difference between term life insurance and maybe whole life or products that are similar? And then I think a lot of guys are like, I, I have $100,000. I feel like that's a huge amount of money that should be enough. Like, how do they help determine what's an appropriate amount, you know, of insurance? For a death benefit, you mean? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So the difference between term insurance and something like a whole life insurance policy is going to be really similar to renting an apartment versus owning a house. When you rent an apartment, 
you live there while you pay for it. And when you pay for it, you don't get to take the apartment with you. Hopefully you still take your stuff, but you don't get anything out of the apartment. You're just, again, literally renting it. And that's what term insurance is. You are renting that death benefit for as long as you pay for it. And so for your example, $100,000, most term policies are for 10, 20, or 30 years. If you pay that premium for those 10 years, it's not going to change, which is different from apartment rent. Those likely change most years. That premium should not change each year. And then when you're done with that set number of years, that's just it. You are renting that death benefit coverage for your family. On the whole life side, or really let's just use the larger umbrella of a permanent policy, much like a home would be more permanent ownership than an apartment would and renting would, you pay a premium that might be again for your whole life or in the best case scenario, it's for a set number of years, just like a 30 year mortgage. And when you are done, you have something to take with you. You still have that death benefit. Some policies might also build up money inside of it, kind of like the equity in your home that you could access, just like the equity in your home before actually you pass away. A lot of different confusing pieces inside of the actual permanent policy and who sells that policy. But again, it's going to be something that you keep and you hold on to forever. And the permanent side or the term side, you just rent it for a set number of years. That's great. And so now um, in determining how much, yeah, like how, how do you help somebody determine how much, what's the right amount for a man to consider protecting his family with or making yeah. sure his wife and her? Your life scenario is going to determine a big piece of this. And so somebody that is young and with children still in the home, just as you and I both are in that spot, you're going to need more than somebody who is 60 and still working, but all your kids are grown and out of the house. And so for me, again, in that younger, have kids, have a spouse and working, my barometer starts at at least 10 times your income. And because that is income replacement, if you were to pass away and you have more than those 10 years before you would have retired, your spouse has just lost all of that income potential. One for retirement, and putting that money aside, saving it for the rainy day in retirement, but two, for all of the pieces of your life that you're leaving behind. And in this stage that you and I are in, that means the kids going to the dentist and their food, because man, do they eat a lot of food and <laughs> paying for the house and just all of those life things that all of a sudden have collapsed. And you also want to add on top of that, any debts that you might have. And so again, when we're talking about your financial plan, you have to replace your income, but also then ideally you are setting aside some money for retirement, some money to pay off the debts too. If you just have the house and you know, you can make the argument that, well, my wife could just continue that with her income and the mortgage will be fine. In my experience, it's best to just pay off all the debts and not force anybody to either go get a job or continue to work during this time of grieving, let's just pay off all the debts, make sure everybody's taken care of from an income standpoint for a little while, and then move forward. So yeah, 10 times of income is my first barometer, but really you gotta dig into the math of what's your budget look like right now for what you're actually spending that you would have to try and replace, and then what debts do you have? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, and I think of this conversation a ton. I have many people, many times they say, well, you know, if I die at 83, 85, right? Well, guess what? There are car accidents every day. There are diagnoses every day that are very unfortunate. 
anyways, and those meteors and all those like unexpected things, they just, they happen in people's lives. And in our business, we see it all the time. And so my encouragement to our audience is do not sit around and wait or just assume incorrectly that your family's going to be fine. If you're the main breadwinner, men, and still that's the case for many houses still, but either way, right? As a family, you guys need to have that conversation and not assume incorrectly that you have 40 years to go. You, you have a time written in God's book that's already pre-done. It doesn't matter if it was COVID or cancer or anything else. It's coming at a certain date that you can't change or, mm -hmm. or control. And this is just a part of wise stewardship. Mm -hmm. uh, as a, definitely encourage men to start at that 10 times, but really, really bring in somebody who understands these conversations and can help you think through all the rest. Because one thing people don't get understanding of it all is, wow, it sounds like $100,000 is a huge amount of money. Well, if you came to Michael with $100,000 and said, my wife's 40 and I've got three kids, how long can this last and how much can I get? It's gone so fast. $20 a month for life. I mean, it's just, it, you have no clue if you're listening to this, how much money it takes to last for a lifetime. If your wife is young, even in fifties and sixties, and they've got to make it 30 years possibly, mm -hmm. it takes more than you think. So it just takes a lot of wisdom to go through this, but please don't wait to have those conversations. Also term yeah. insurance is dirt cheap for what you get. And it's pretty easy to get too. And again, for a half a million dollar policy, if you are in your twenties, we're talking about easily less than $50 a month. And right. that might even be the million dollar death benefit cost. And again, for early twenties, you know, early in your career, maybe $50 a month seems like a lot, but it probably isn't when you consider that you're just locking this in for 30 years. You are checking something off that hopefully this is the last time you ever have to buy it. And there are scenarios, this sounds a little doom and gloomy, but there are scenarios where you could not qualify later in life. And I have a client that he has a heart condition that he discovered in his 40s, which again, is still theoretically young, that will allow him to live a long time, but will never allow him to buy more life insurance. And so he was very thankful that he had some that he bought earlier on in life because we've tried and we tried with a couple of different companies. He just flat out cannot get more. His scenario has changed and he makes so much more money now than he did then. And he still wants to give away some of the money to the kids. Long story short, he is precluded from ever having more life insurance put on his life, but at least he has what he bought before that condition was discovered. That's right. Yeah. Know, know where you're at today. Talk with somebody, get started, just have conversations, right? You don't have to buy it if it's not for you. Yep. But, but find out where you're at. And again, as men, we're here to steward wisely our life and the things that God has put in front of us, which is a wife and kids for a lot of us, or maybe in the future for you. And, and it's important to have some clarity in that and how you can take care of those people that, that matter to you. Looking at generosity. You had mentioned budgeting and I want to talk about generosity for a second because I know for you and Kate, this is a, this means a lot. And uh, what is the connection about being extravagantly generous, which I think is words that you have used for just your own personal life. This, why is that so important to you? And what is the connection between that and maybe the Christian man and money? Yeah, I, I actually just got goosebumps as you said that because Something that Kate and I have said a lot is that we just want 
like if people were to know, which again, we believe that this is something between just you and God and not something that you should broadcast. It's a private thing. But if people were to know, they would just say, man, that's stupid <laughs> in terms yeah. of your giving. And we hope that maybe God would think that too in the best way, like y'all dumb, but I like it. And again, we believe that because we've been told to be good stewards of what we have been given. And for us, that means you're starting with a tithe. And so 10% of what you're making is being given. But then there are things on top of that, whether it be your time, talents, treasures that are also supporting the kingdom and supporting others. And, you know, when you have your eyes open looking for opportunities like that, it's amazing things that pop up in ways that you maybe weren't expecting in ways that you can serve. Again, money is not necessarily the only piece of it, but obviously that is a large piece. And again, for us, we're just trying to be stupid in like the best way. <laughs> I love it. I love that you mentioned the other pieces actually too. It's such a great thing for us to listen to and to really take to heart here. So one of the beautiful parts about stewarding wealth wisely is it might give you the opportunity to have more freedom to go do other things, you know, yep. that you want to with your time and your talents, you know, yep. of course the word talents in the scriptures probably actually was a measurement of wealth. But we, if we talk about it, let's say giftings or whatever, maybe just interests. There are so many amazing stories of Christian men and women out there who are just able to financially, maybe not even like, quote unquote, be wealthy. Although in this country, if you have a phone and a car and a house, you are wealthy compared to 98% of the world. But they have the ability to go serve in a ministry somewhere because they can just make ends meet because they have no debt because they've saved some money and, and their means of living is, is low. It's below what they're, they could have lived off of. Right. So yeah. I love what you're saying there in the happiness equation that comes in your happiness. We, we study things like this all the time in our industry, but w there's a certain value of money that people make where the happiness quotient you think goes up if I had a million dollars and it just doesn't. It just doesn't. So I don't know if you want to speak to that at all, but just the wealth, the generosity and happiness are way more connected than how much I have in the bank and happiness. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that at least in my head, that relates a lot back to the difference between happiness and joy as well. And I actually had this one friend who moved to Tennessee a long time ago that I don't know if I necessarily 100% agree with this phrase, but it always makes me think. And he said that he he's a Christian man as well. And he said that, for everybody that tells him happiness or money doesn't buy happiness, he says, no, 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 it does. You're just buying the wrong stuff. And <laughs> I think that relates back to, again, like the difference between happiness and joy and joy. We can find like, you know, that inner what most people would relate to happiness, but a, a, a central calm, knowing my savior kind of joy versus happiness, which is fleeting, coming and going and more emotional. Again, not necessarily a a central part of who you are. And I think that that piece is really interesting in terms of, again, those two differences between happiness and joy. But back to your question of just kind of general happiness and how this relates to money, there absolutely is a spot where as incomes are rising, where again, like there's a certain level, you just have to have your needs met, right? I need shelter, I need food, I need water. And then there's another level above where, okay, we're checking things off on the plan, essentially, right? Like, okay, 529s, and we know that we are not worried about our takeout budget this month necessarily, and retirement planning is going well. 
once you get above that, the the there's a law. I think it's like the law of decreasing returns or something like that, that essentially says each dollar is not going to add the same amount of happiness as the first set of dollars did because those things are met now. And so the difference between half a million and a million in income is not the same as 250 to 500 or even 50 to 100. Again, it's beyond that first need level and then the checking things off of the plan level that then it, I don't want to say it's just extra, but it's that point where then you, at least in our perspective, probably should be saying like, let's just be stupid in a, in a good giving fun way. In a generous kind of way, you know, yeah. a God way. No, that's exactly right. It's so good. And it's funny. So there are, there are four principles of getting the fight ministry. And we pray through this every day. So that the, the men that are part of this ministry say, Lord, help me to be a man of honor. Help me to be a man of discipline, a man of strength, and then a man of joy. So it's kind of interesting that you bring that up. But every single day, it's a focus. Those four principles, and they each have their own little phrase and saying, but the one that goes with joy that we pray through is that our happiness and attitude would not be controlled by our circumstances or feelings or that of others. And that's how we pray that every day. And I'm telling you, like, we won't get sidetracked on this, but the men that are a part of this now, they're saying like, look, I can kind of push my way through discipline and through strength in certain ways. And, you know, maybe integrity and commitment, keeping the commitments I've made with honor, but having a heart that's joyful, despite my feelings or circumstances, like you can't fake it. You need a heart change to get there. And again, the connection to money is intense because we really feel like I've got to work that extra time. I've got to grind. I got to, you know, bust it. And then you eventually have somebody say like, why? And we don't know how to answer it. But the reality is the unspoken thing is we think it's going to bring more joy or happiness. And the reality is we can learn this. And I hope we're sharing this today. We could tell story after story of multi multi-millionaires who aren't that happy, right? Let's make sure we're not pursuing something that doesn't exist, cannot exist from having more stuff, mm -hmm. right? I love that question, and it might be my favorite question, why? Not just for us to ask internally to ourselves, that would be really great, but honestly, we're kind of crappy at it most times, but for somebody else to ask, and especially for me to ask with clients, why? And oftentimes, I will repeat that three or four times, because you have a surface level why, and then a, okay, maybe it's actually this why, and then a, this is deep internal, like my heart why, and that's what I actually want to get at to, again, build a good plan for you. I had a client one time that husband and wife were sitting across the table from me. And the wife said that she wanted something. And I forget exactly what it was at this point. So it was a few years back. But I remember asking why. And then she gave me, again, that first surface level answer. And I said, no, really, why? And got into it again. And then I, I went back a third time. And I said, no, really, why? And the husband starts leaning back in his chair and he is just clapping and he points at me. And then like he slaps his wife on the knee. Like apparently they've had this conversation and just never able to get to any real depth. And now here's the mediator saying why, and you're stuck in this room and either you're going to get up and walk out or you're going to answer why. And we got to a real answer and they're great clients. They, we've worked together for a while and we just built a really great plan because we just drilled down into a why. And yeah, absolutely. Again, 
knowing your why, or at least having somebody that you can trust to find out that why is really helpful for a plan. It's everything because you might be thinking I'm shooting for something. It's not really what it will satisfy or check off the box. Yeah. You've to go beyond just, I want to have a million dollars and say, why? Yeah. And why, why, why again? Right. So yeah, I love, I love that. And you do a great job with that with people and it's so, so critical. This is why active listening is so important to really just be engaged with that person across from you or for, for you guys that are listening to truly be engaged with your own self. And if you can't, that's why you need help and advisors, but to really go like, what am I really chasing here? You know, you might, <laughs> I, I've told people this many times, like you might be able to have no debt, $4,000 a month in retirement. And you're going like, gosh, let's just, I, I live on more than that today or whatever. I don't know how we can do it. But I'm like, just start writing it down. What exactly would you spend bills on if you had no debt? And they're like, gosh, I guess we'd probably be fine for a lot of people, right? And again, I realize it's different for everybody, but just what do you really, what do you really want? What do you really want that to look like? You yeah. know, and not only that, but we get back to in a Christian setting of this ministry, what does God want? One of the best financial questions I ever heard was to ask yourself, why do I have as much as I do? And that's like, that just gives you great pause, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, because and we don't necessarily always go necessarily that direction with clients, but certainly with those who claim to be believers, we say, okay, well, you've heard the story about the barns, right? How foolish that was to just build barns and to have mm-hmm. all this extra. Is that like, God's going to say, what did you do with my stuff? That's a scary question. How are you going to answer that? And so we mm-hmm. want believers, men listening to this, you should ask that question because you're part of this because you are saying I'm under the authority of him. So why do I have what I have and why do I really want what I want and making sure it's not just what you think, but what does God think about why he entrusted you with that much? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you think about the parable of the talents too, like that's a really specific example, but why do I have this much? And then someday somebody's going to come back and say, well, what'd you do with it? Right. Exactly. And it may not be like your master for a certain set of time, but eventually we're going to all have to go up and say like, this is what I did and just hopefully here, well done, good and faithful servant, or, you know, probably actually because we're all sinners, we won't fully hear that, but we can hope for that. But let's try and be good stewards while we're here with, again, whatever it is that we have been given, whether it's a little or a lot. You know, we, we, that's exactly right. It just makes me think in our industry, people will look for a fiduciary and we've talked about fiduciary and stewardship. Yeah. Tell me, tell me what comes to mind with, with those two things, in particular for the Christian man. So a fiduciary, in my mind, one, like legally at our firm, we have to be fiduciaries for our clients. What that means is putting their interests above our own in all circumstances. Legally, that is the way that I set up this firm when it was formed. The legal entity, we have to be fiduciaries. The stewardship piece at least again, in my mind, I feel is more of a taking care of what you personally have. So fiduciary being for care for someone else and stewardship being care of what you have been entrusted with. I suppose you could also make the argument that if you are being a fiduciary, you have been entrusted with somebody else's stewardship, but they still have ownership of their own stewardship as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's so good. I mean, I, I think when you think, when I think of the, of the parable of the talents that you mentioned there, this isn't our stuff, right? And as fiduciaries of other people's assets, 
it's not our stuff. We don't own that. We are how we are there to say, what does love require of me here? I'm, like, I'm going to serve these people across from me with everything I can with as much due diligence and wisdom because it's not mine. Yep. Right. I'm going to treat them the way I would want to be treated. If I'm sitting across from there saying like, I'm trusting you to help me out here. We're going to do the best we can with it imperfectly, of course. Right. But we're trying to do it through the, it, through the lens of fiduciary responsibility you should find it. You should find an advisor who does carry that label and understands that for sure. For those of you listening into this, but as stewards, again, God will say, this was my stuff. It's not your money. It's not your car. <laughs> the earth is the Lord's and everything in it is a verse that you should memorize. Well, everything in Hebrew means what? Everything. That's, <laughs> what the, Hebrew means. <laughs> That's the little joke there. It, it means everything. And so we incorrectly, especially as men, think I worked hard for this money. I did all of this. And God's like, whoa, 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 be careful with the eyes here. <laughs> right. And, and so I really want to challenge those of us listening to say, this isn't yours. Mm -hmm. Your name's on it, but your name's on it as far as it's going to go. And then he's going to meet you and say, okay, this was my stuff. Where did you get your breath? Where did you get your wisdom? Where did you get your opportunity? You know, and, and we need to, we need to be very wise to that. Just a couple more questions here, and, and then I know for time's sake, we'll, we'll wrap this up. I had one, one guy write in in particular, and so I just want to address this one. He said, look, I, the market is too scary for me. I don't really like it. What about like other ways of investing like, and he, he had mentioned like gold and silver. Mm. So I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll make sure I talk to Michael about that. So guys that are concerned with that, they, you hear a lot about gold and silver when the markets are down in particular. I'll just toss it that way. What, how do you respond to that guy who's concerned about the market and thinks maybe gold and silver is the way to go? Yeah, I would say that I don't necessarily have a problem with gold and silver. And I have a lot of clients that own a lot of it. I have a client that has a safe that's drilled into his cement basement right now that has a undisclosed large amount of gold and silver at this moment. But I'll also tell you that that same client has significant money in the stock market too, because putting your money in just gold and silver is the equivalent of just putting your money in the Nate and Sarah Whitson bee honey farm. Not to say that that is a bad investment, but it's just one basket. It's the equivalent of putting all of your eggs in one basket. And we've actually found that gold and silver are counter cyclical to the stock market. So when the market goes down, you hear a lot about gold and silver because they typically go up at that moment. And then you hear those radio commercials of gold is up 82% this year, whatever those people are saying. And it's because the market is down at this moment. My problem again with only investing in gold and silver would be that they are incredibly volatile and oftentimes more volatile than the stock market itself. And it's just two precious metals. It's Again, the equivalent of buying just two companies when you should probably buy multiple thousands of companies if you have good diversification. So, again, I don't have a problem with owning those. I have lots of clients that own a good portion of gold and silver. Let's just not put all of those eggs in only those baskets. Yeah, I think that's wise. Of course, I think that's wise. It's <laughs> we do together have these conversations. But again, it was a question that somebody asked, and I think we get it a lot. And I would say that the same way. I think it's really well said. Maybe just a short blurb on what do you think of crypto and those types of investments? Yeah, I have a lot of clients that are interested in crypto and a lot of clients that are scared and cautious like me about crypto. I'll tell you that if you are interested enough, 
we should treat this just as we would any other diversification opportunity and not put more than 5% of our total assets into something like this. Again, it absolutely could be a home run. You could choose the right one and you could turn $10,000 into $10 million, but it's more likely that you turn $10,000 into $1,000 or $0 because we don't know the longevity. We don't know if there's an actual use for it. We don't know which one of these companies is going to hit big or first or at all. And there's just too many unknowns. I talked about the market being efficient, the stock market being efficient over the long term. And that's because we can see with proper diversification that over at least 10 to 15 years, we're likely going to go up. We have none of that background in crypto. And again, there are a lot of companies trying to make it big. And the biggest of them that we've seen, Bitcoin, continues to go up and then go way down and up and then way down. And we still don't even know if there's an actual use for it. So if you feel as though, man, I just can't miss out. I got to have some crypto. That's absolutely fine. Just don't put more than 5% of your net worth in it. That's perfect. Yeah, I think that's really wise. I guess last question, just anything else that comes to mind. I'm, I'm guessing, this is just a little guessing here, that people are going to listen to this and go, I've got so many more questions now. So maybe we'll do this again. That would be fun. And again, there's even so many other angles. I'd like, oh, let's talk about this with them. But we'll, we'll come back to that. For time's sake today, we won't. But just anything else that comes to mind when you're, again, we're just, you're thinking the majority audience here is a Christian audience, a, a man. Listen to this. What does he do? Any last thoughts that you would say, you know, that come to mind, I guess, that we missed? Yeah. So my last thoughts, again, if we are going to, potentially talk about this in more depth some other time, would be related to two items. The first being, without violating any copyright laws, I have taught a certain class called Financial Peace College, not a different type of secondary education, by a guy that his name rhymes with Dave Schmamsey. <laughs> and a lot of his principles are really ringing true. And so if you have nowhere to start, find a class, a financial peace class. And it is meant for the masses. It is meant for long-term high level debt reduction, build a budget, get an emergency fund savings. Like they're really great baseline foundational step one type of items. If you have absolutely nothing started yet. If you are beyond that, the next would be have a conversation with a professional, somebody that holds themselves out as a fiduciary, somebody that may be a CFP, a CKA, Certified Kingdom Advisor, somebody that is just going to have your best interests at heart and knows how to physically do this. And again, let's just start that plan. Don't settle for somebody that is going to try and sell you something or somebody that, again, doesn't have your best interests or someone that's just going to talk down to you and say like, oh, you are really far behind or, oh, you should have done this. Like, that's not important. What is important is you and where your plan is today and where you want to take that. That's point one. There were like eight sub points, but that's point that's one. Perfect. You know me too well to not expect exactly that. The second one is that my favorite verse in the Bible is James 2.18. And it just talks about, someone will say, they will show you your faith by what they say. And I will say, show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by what I do. And I think that this is a piece of it. 
most people may not often connect those dots, but what you do is included here in this financial plan and then propels forward that generosity plan that we talked about earlier too. So again, what you do could be very much so this financial plan. And so again, I equate that verse back to if you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk too. And this is a part of it. If you are going to say that you are attempting to be the best version of you, the best Christian man that you can, this is a part of it. And you should take care of your stuff. I love it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, we're, we're definitely gonna have to come back. I have a thousand things. I bet you do too. But you know what we should talk about? <laughs> we can talk about this, this and this. It's It's important. I think that's great advice to end with on this one today is just get going, like get started, start talking about it, figure out where you're at, talk to somebody who knows more than you do that. There's no shame in that. We, there's so many, like these people that were fixing my plumbing yesterday in my house. I'm like, dudes, I, can I get you some water? I have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> you hold? That's okay. It's okay. Right. We're all good at different things. We're all here to serve, find people who want to serve, have a heart of a teacher and get started though, but don't wait because it is important to what it means to be a man and to take care of your family. And, and you, God's entrusted you with certain amounts. We all have different amounts, but God has getting entrusted you with something. So be a man, get in the fight when it comes to money. Don't just say, I don't understand this stuff. There's people out there to help you and, and people are yep. counting on. It. Uh, so do that and you'll be better off for it. But Michael, thank you so much. Thank you. You're awesome. You're a good boss and a good <laughs> thank friend. You. And Awesome at what you do. Thanks for your wisdom and time with us today. And definitely look forward to having you back. Thank you. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah, man. All right, fellas. Time to get in the fight when it comes to money. Take the blinders off. Get going. And we'll walk you through this and help. And definitely send in more questions. And Michael and I will do this again. So have a great day. Go get in the fight. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for being here today and listening to the show. Please be sure to head over to the website at getinthefight.club. And before you go, if you haven't already, please subscribe, click the like button, and leave us a positive five-star review. It makes a huge difference whenever you do. Have a great day. Go get in the fight.